Turn with me in the book of Colossians this morning, if you would, because uh, that's where we're going to be, Colossians chapter 4 this morning. i review with you just a little bit about some of our, our, our previous times in the book of Colossians, because this morning we're looking at instructions for Christian living. But before we do that, I want to remind you of some of the first chapters in the book of Colossians where Paul begins this book with rich, deep teaching about Jesus Christ. He teaches us about how Jesus Christ is divine, how Jesus is the creator, how Jesus is the head of the church, how he is preeminent over all things and worthy of our worship. Will was just leading us to worship the Lord in song. Worship is not just something that we do on the stage here, it's something that we do all throughout our week as we make much of the Lord Jesus and who he is and that we exalt him and not ourselves and the way that we live and that we act every day because he is worthy. Chapters two and three goes into talking about Jesus as our savior, as our savior from sin, that he paid the price of God's perfect justice on the cross for our sins, that we might not pay that price, but that he was a substitute for us and he died out of his great love for us upon a cross that we might be forgiven. And those who confess their sins and believe in Jesus, they are made new, made alive in Christ, given hope of heaven, putting to death old ways, becoming a new person, a new creation in Christ, walking in a new way of life, a new way of holiness, compassion, kindness, humility, patience, forgiveness, thankfulness, hope, joy, a totally different way of living. In this living, um, from living our own selfishness separated from God and guilt to living in thankfulness to God in such a way that all we do, whether it's in word or deed, we do it for the glory of God. Instead of living for ourselves, we're living for Jesus. We're living in a different way, a totally different direction. And this is what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. It's a way of hope. If we think about this this progression through Colossians like a house, the gospel is the foundation. We start with understanding who Jesus is and confessing our sins and believing in him. It's the foundation for everything else. And as we build on that house, uh, chapter three has some about sanctification or growing as a Christian, which is um, sort of like the frame of the house, if you will. And when we get to the latter part of this letter, it's similar to many of other Paul's letter where you get to the, the finishing trim, if you will, the, the last particular instructions about things that help you to go in a very particular way in life. But these things build. They're progressive in their order and we need to get them right. Because unfortunately, many people look to the final little ethical teachings of Jesus, but they reject the beginning, which is who he is. And they want to walk in certain Christian commands and walk in a Christian way of life, but they don't want to believe in who Jesus is. And so they have got, they've got everything backwards. They may accept the do unto others as you would have them do unto you, or they they may accept what we're gonna see here later of walk in a way of wisdom or make the best use of your time because these these seem like very clear things that everyone can agree with. But there are many false teachers both in the past and in our present time that want to reduce the gospel to keeping certain moral maxims, that if you live in a certain moral way that you are a Christian, but those people leave behind 
who Jesus is and teach that oh, Christianity is about just living your best life now or it's about the power of positive thinking. This is not what Paul taught in the first chapters of Colossians. He taught us to believe in who Jesus was and accept him in all of his glory and then we go and live for him. When we forget this, we end up not talking about sin and forgiveness. We end up not talking about the supernatural because we may be embarrassed about it. Or we may not talk about heaven or the next life because everything becomes about this life right now. So I don't want us to get out of order. Let us remember who Jesus has taught that he is. And we must believe in him first. We must seek him for the forgiveness of sins. And then we obey him because we love him. So... uh, It is that we obey Jesus because we love him, not so that we will love him. You're gonna hear me say this many times as the years go on because it's so important. Many people that do not know Christ as their savior try to obey him so that God will love them. They try to earn their way into God's favor by seeking to obey him. But this is not the way the gospel works. We are forgiven all of our sins by faith and by grace. And just like a parent that loves their child, no matter what that child does, we obey God because we love him, not so that he will love us. We're not trying to appease an angry God with good works because Jesus has already paid that price. We now live differently because we love Jesus and we want to walk in his likeness, leaving behind dead ways. So this brings us to Colossians chapter four, verses two through six, which is our passage of the day. Instructions that we seek to live out because we love Jesus. So please stand with me to honor the Lord as we read his word in Colossians chapter four, verses two through six. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Verse five, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Be seated. So we have four things in these, in these verses this morning, uh, directions that the Lord would have us to follow. One is to continue in prayer. One is to walk in wisdom. One is to make the best use of your time. And the other is to speak with grace. So we begin first with continuing in prayer. We speak a lot about prayer in this church. We pray a lot in this church because we should be a praying people. Paul says one of the first directions for the Christian life is to continue steadfastly in prayer. Not giving up is to be steadfast in something. Paul writes in one of his other letters, uh, Philippians chapter two, verse six, that in everything by prayer we should make our anxieties and our needs known to God. Not some things, not just when it becomes an absolute crisis, but that in everything we should be praying to the Lord, that we should be offering our needs and our anxieties to him. This is very personal. 
Prayer is very personal, and that is what the opportunity of the gospel opens to us. When we confess our sins to the Lord, we have the opportunity of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You do not have to come to me or to a priest or to someone else and go through them to make your requests known to the Lord. You can kneel right there by your bed at night. You can do it right there in your car, in the parking lot, wherever it may be that your heart becomes overwhelmed with the struggles and the troubles of the world, the right thing to do is not to strive for how it is that you can work your way out of this incredibly difficult spot, but you should first give it to the Lord Jesus. Pour out your needs and anxieties on him in a personal way. Why? Because he cares for you. We should do this in a continuous way. The continuous steadfast language of the scriptures is that prayer is not just something for Sunday. It's not just something for particular religious holidays or events, but it is something that we should continuously be about as a people. Any relationship that you have with another person that is good and meaningful, you have a constant flow of conversation with that person. In our relationship with the Lord Jesus, our conversation with him should be continuous and it should be personal. But as we continue to pour out our needs and our heart to the Lord, you're gonna realize quickly that this relationship of prayer puts you in the dependent position which is where the Lord puts us in this analogy of where we are in the, in the uh, relationship with God. It calls him our what? Our father, which puts us in the child position. And a child position is a dependent position. We have a lot of very accomplished people in this room. But before God, you know what you are? You're a child. You're in a dependent position and you can't do anything without the Lord. And if you decide you're gonna make your way in this life without the Lord, things are not gonna turn out the way that you hope that they will. We must be in a place where we offer ourselves to the Lord and steadfastly and continuously seek him because what will happen is he will answer our prayers. I, I'm gonna get into that more a little bit later. But um, it's awesome to see the Lord answer a prayer. You may have never been in a place where you have prayed and asked God for something and then it actually happened. And you know that it's the Lord answering that prayer. There's nothing more encouraging than to see God answer a prayer before you. We've been reading an interesting biography this past week with the kids. Um, Maria was uh, reading this story called Brother Andrew. It's a very interesting story about a man who, who came to salvation in his 20s. It was during the, the 1950s, during the Iron Curtain communist era. And this guy's burden from the Lord was to take Bibles, to take the scriptures to people that did not have it in communist countries where the scriptures were forbidden. And so this guy would load up his little Volkswagen with suitcases full of Bibles and Christian literature and drive up to these communist checkpoints and pray. He'd stop, pray before he got there, Lord, if you want this to happen, let me get through with all this contraband. And time after time after time, everybody would, oh, it looks great. Yeah, come on through, come on through. And he'd go in and spend six weeks, the full duration of his visa, preaching, handing out scriptures. But it was always a work of prayer. It was always an answer to prayer. And when you read this book, what you wanna do is stop and give glory to God, that God answered this guy's prayer. Why? Because there were Christians on the other side of that fence, if you will, that needed to, to read the Bible and they needed somebody to bring it to them. God laid it on this guy's heart and by answered prayer, he gets done what needs to get done. That's a big story. It's a, it's a, it's a crisis example, if you will. But our prayer life should involve all things, our job, our struggles there, our marriage, our children. 
does this describe your life? Do you live a prayerful life, a life where you're always giving your struggles to the Lord? The second aspect of prayer is that not only should it be steadfast and continuous, it should be with thanksgiving. It's interesting how often we're told to pray with thanksgiving in the scriptures because thanksgiving is an antidote. Thanksgiving is an antidote to greed. It's an antidote to complaining, to anxiety, to anger, to disrespect because it's impossible for you to pour out your heart to the Lord and still be greedy. Say, God, please, 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 uh, I need this. And then also ask for something that you know is just pure greed, that you can't do it. Like you can't give thanks and be greedy at the same time, so it squelches it down in your heart. You cannot possibly pray and complain and give thanks at the same time. It's impossible. So as you pray and give thanks, complaining seems to evaporate out of your heart because you begin to focus more on what you do have instead of what you don't have. It's impossible to pour out your, your needs to the Lord and still be anxious. Why? Because when you pray to the Lord, he will give you peace. And peace begins to come over the anxieties and it calms them. So we give thanks. Anger, disrespect, all these things. Because the more we pray and the more we give thanks, it changes our perspective. And we begin to take our eyes off the things that we don't have or the struggles that we do have. And we begin to put our eyes on the things that God has given us and what he has done for us. And our perspective begins to change. This doesn't mean that our prayers are not real and heartfelt. If you haven't spent much time in the Psalms, I encourage you to make that a regular part of your Bible reading. Because what we find in the Psalms is the psalmist is very real. He will pray about things that are greatly troubling him. Like, God, I'm just about to give up my faith because of all these wicked people around me. And he'll talk about it and pour out his heart to the Lord about it. But how does the Psalm end? It will always end with some aspect of thanksgiving or worship where this struggle that's going on in the psalmist's heart, he comes back to, now the Lord is good and the Lord has blessed me and thank you, Lord, for what you've done in my life. Give me the faith to keep going in the direction that I need to keep going in. The psalms are full of these things and our prayers should be in a similar fashion. So we pray steadfastly and continuously. We pray with thanksgiving, but we also pray for the spread of the gospel. Specifically here in verses three and four, Paul is asking the Colossian Christians, he says, pray uh, at the same time, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear. Boy, Paul is passionate. He's still praying for a gospel opportunity even though he's in jail for preaching the gospel. He wants to preach the gospel more because he knows that is the hope of the world. So he's asking these Christians to pray for an open door or an opportunity to preach the gospel and that he might make it clear to the people that he is speaking to. Our prayer should be the same way about the spread of the gospel. You should pray for yourself that you might have opportunity to share with others. That may be something that you've never done before, but there will come a time as you make progress in your Christian life that you will know that you should say something to another person about Jesus. And when you know that that opportunity is there, you should take it. 
But you should pray for that opportunity and you should pray for clarity that you might be able to make it clear that you wouldn't stumble all over yourself. We've all been there where somebody asks you a question and you're just like, ah, I don't know. And, and, and you kind of fall all over the place and it's a terrible explanation and you have to come back later and say, I'm sorry, I messed that all up. Let's, let's start this conversation again and let me try to make that more clear. So we should pray for clarity. Pray for yourself in that. But pray for, for me in that as well. Pray for me that as I come up here each week and speak to you, that the Lord might help me to be clear in what the scriptures say, that I might not be confusing to you, but help you understand the scriptures. Pray for missionaries. If you don't have some missionary or some person's picture on your fridge or on your office wall, it should be there. You should seek out to pray for those that are in other places seeking to share the gospel. Um, this morning when we close, we're going to pray for Josh and Catherine Himes, some friends of ours that are with Campus Crusade for Christ at Penn State University and are giving the early years of their married life to share the gospel with the thousands and thousands of students on the Penn State campus, and, and they're doing a great work up there. So we pray steadfastly. We pray for, with thanksgiving, and we pray for the gospel to go forth that people might come to know Jesus. Continue in prayer. Another Christian instruction is that we should walk in wisdom, verse five. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. What does it mean to walk in wisdom? Well, wisdom is applied knowledge. We don't hear a lot about wisdom these days. Not too many people talk about wisdom. Not too many people are, are seeking wisdom that I know of. But the scriptures talk about wisdom a lot. And that it's the ability to rightly apply knowledge or to take the right action or say the right word at the right time, and that it becomes meaningful and used of the Lord. Wisdom is something given by God because God is all wise. In fact, there's a whole book of the Bible related to wisdom called the Proverbs, the book of Proverbs written by Solomon and others. James chapter one, verse five, uh, one of my favorite verses in the Bible Jesus, uh, I mean, the, James writes and says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives freely to all without finding fault. So if we pray and ask God for wisdom, he will make us wise. He will help us be more wise. This is something we should all be praying for. Do you seek wisdom? Is it something that's even on your radar? Because we should be walking in wisdom, especially as it says, toward outsiders. Outside of what? Well, it's outside of the church. So when you become a member of this church or some other church and you are a part of a group of Christians and you begin to interact with those that are not Christians, we should be careful and wise with how we interact with those that are not believers. I would say the first aspect of wisdom is that we never ever act in pride towards those who do not know Jesus. We must always remember what it was like to not be forgiven of our sins and to not know the Lord. And so we seek to speak to those that do not know Christ with great humility, kindness, and seeking for them to know who Jesus is. We look to Jesus in that way. We interact with them as Jesus would, never in pride, always in humility. But Jesus says something interesting about dealing with the outside world because the outside world is a, is a rough place. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as servants and innocent as doves. What an interesting thing. I think it has much to say to us about walking in wisdom in the world. 
I think what Jesus is saying here is even with walking in great character, Christians should not be naive. They should not be foolish. They should not be taken advantage of for no purpose. That there is a place, in fact, for a sharp mind and a keen wit and shrewdness even. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas find themselves in an interesting situation where for preaching the gospel, they are arrested, beaten, and thrown in prison for this. If you remember the story, that's the, that's the occasion where the Philippian jailer comes to salvation that night because there's, there's an earthquake and they have the chance to run from the prison, but they don't, they stay there. And this man who has heard them singing praises and honoring the Lord in the midst of this dark dungeon comes to salvation that night. Well, the next morning, there's gonna be an account for this uh, jailer, for how it is that these, these prisoners could potentially have escaped. And if you know anything about the ancient world, a jailer that loses his prisoners is up for execution because he did not fulfill his role. Well, Paul does something interesting that he never does anywhere else in, uh, in, the, in the record of his life. He pulls his Roman citizenship card out and he says, hey, I am a Roman citizen, and you guys have jailed and beaten me without due process. And back then, it's just like now, there was a due process for citizens, and they didn't realize that he was a citizen. And what happened was, it eventually got the jailer off the hook, because they had not followed the due process, and he, I think, was looking out for this guy and the way that he conducted himself at that time. It was a shrewd move. He could have done this at other times, but he chose not to because of what the mission was. It was was wisdom. It was an application of something at a particular time in a particular place for a particular end and reason, that he would not allow them to be taken advantage of at that time by exerting his rights. You know, I learned a lesson on shrewdness and, and, and this whole bit when I was early in business in real estate. I was real young, and uh, I was at a closing table, one of my first ever uh, real estate deals, and uh, selling agent was there. There was a problem with the deck. The deck needed to be repaired and the deck had not been repaired. And we were all here at the, at the closing table. And I said, hey, yeah, we gotta get that, we gotta get that deck repaired, right? And uh, the person said, yep, yeah, absolutely. As soon as we close this deal, we're, I'm gonna go get that deck repaired and it's gonna be, we're gonna be good to go. I'm like, all right, well, this guy's in my same office. Surely, this guy's gotta be telling the truth. This guy's a really nice guy. Okay, close the deal, and you know the rest of the story. So I come back a week later. The buyer says, hey, this deck has still not been fixed. So I go upstairs and, you know, knock on this guy's office door. Hey, uh, we need to get that deck fixed. Door is closed right in my face. And, uh, you know, I'm standing there in the hallway, the door closed in my face, thinking, you know what, that was really dumb. That was not smart. Like, that was a business transaction, and this guy just took me. And I should have known better. I should have been wiser. I was within my rights to have said, no, we're not going to close this until all aspects of the contract are uh, completed. And you know what would have happened? The deck would have gotten fixed. I wouldn't have had to pay for it out of my own pocket. But I learned a lesson in wisdom there, a a lesson in not being taken advantage of. And so the point here is that being wise towards the outside world does not mean being taken advantage of. You know, when we see the, the aspects of Christianity of loving others, showing kindness to others, there are times when we are gonna lay down and allow others um, We are not going to demand our rights. But there are other times where it makes sense to demand your rights. This is what wisdom is. 
Because wisdom is not a blanket application of everything in the same way. You have to make choices in how you're going to live. This is why this is the third step, if you will, in Christian living. We start with the gospel, then we go to sanctification, and then we go to aspects of more careful application. How is it that we walk in wisdom toward outsiders? So I encourage you this morning, be humble, be righteous in the way that you live, but be wise and think carefully about how you step in the outside world. Okay, so we're gonna be prayerful. We're gonna be wise, but we're gonna make the best use of our time, Paul says. Make the best use of your time. What an interesting statement. What is best? What does it mean to be best in the use of your time? Often that gets translated in our day and age into doing the most stuff. The best use of time equals I did lots of stuff this week. I don't believe that a biblical definition of best is always the most things, but it is using your time for the highest possible good. Using your time for the highest possible good. Time is a universal commodity. We all in this room, no matter what our background is, how much money you have in the bank, how smart you are, how many degrees you have hanging on the wall, you have 24 hours today. And you will have 24 hours tomorrow and 24 hours the next day. And how we use our time is of critical importance. We only have one life and it will soon be passed And only what we do for the Lord is gonna last into eternity. And so Jesus is often talking to us about building up eternal reward or doing things that matter for eternity, not things that will perish or wash away uh, in this life. Because often we spend so much of our day seeking after things that just next year we won't even remember what happened because they're pointless or unnecessary. Only what is of eternal value matters. So we look to Jesus as we always look and and looking at how he lived his life. Jesus clearly made the best use of his time, but he was never in a hurry. Jesus was never rushing around, looking at the watch, trying to keep his calendar straight. And I know he was a son of God and unique, but he cut out all unnecessary things and lived with a single-minded purpose of serving the Lord Jesus. This somewhat goes back to wisdom for us, walking in a way that is wise, because the Lord has given each of you a certain vocation in life, a certain role in life, certain duties. And how is it that you are going to live in that vocation for the Lord, that this Monday through Friday of this week might count for eternal value, that it's not just doing things on a to-do list, but what you are doing throughout this week is actually done as unto the Lord. Are you accomplishing things with your life that are of eternal significance with your time? Are you making a positive difference in the lives of those around you? Because we all know when we get super busy and we're just dialed in trying to get stuff done, we tend to run over the people that are around us. We tend to not take note of them. We don't love them. We don't show kindness to them. Are you making a positive difference in the lives of those around you? Are you creating a legacy of godliness for future generations? Or are you living for your own pleasure and your own uh, betterment in the moment? Let us make the best use of our time looking towards those things which matter for eternity. 
I find that the American pioneers are some of the most interesting people in how they lived. Um, Many of those people were God-fearing people. And they were able to accomplish astonishingly important and long-lasting works with very little time and with very little resources. Their life expectancy was shorter and they seemed to have very little to work with, but they got incredible things done in the lives that they lived. So I like to read about them. And I would encourage you with two common themes that I see come out of the lives of people that seemed as a generation to make very good use of their time. Well, one was that that group of people had a love of learning and industry. They loved to to do things that mattered. They, They found enjoyment in work. And that's part of, I think, every Christian's life. We should find enjoyment in the vocation and the work that God has given us. I think that too often in our day, we have a a love for entertainment, not really for any type of learning or vocation. And we do what we have to do so that we can get done with it, so that we can then go and entertain ourselves, whether it be watching movies or uh, playing video games or just going to the lake or whatever it is. And I understand, there is a time and a place for entertainment. We all enjoy relaxing. But life will lose a lot of its sweetness if you don't enjoy the work of your life too. And when we are able to enjoy the vocation and the work that God has given to us, whether it is a student, as a homemaker, as a nurse, as a manager, whatever it may be, loving the work that you do will help to make the best of your time. Part of making the most of your time is cultivating a love for learning and a love for work. A second thing that comes as a theme from, we see in a lot of uh, American pioneer days, is the honoring of the mandate of Sabbath rest. It's very interesting. It was a very strong Christian uh, undertone to that culture. And there was the, the upholding of the Sabbath. And we could talk about this, and we will in future days a lot. I don't believe that it is a, it is a commandment, if you will, as, though, uh, as it was in the Old Testament. But there is great wisdom there based on creation. We see the Sabbath, or the idea of working six days and taking one day to rest and turn towards the Lord as something that is given to us all the way from the time of creation. And the underpinning concept is that if we take time to rest, we can work harder and more effectively in the other days of the week. We need rest. God did not create us to be able to plug ourselves in or somehow do something to just completely renew ourselves in a moment. We need two things, sleep and downtime. And when you take time to sleep and when you take appropriate downtime, I find that you're able to work much harder and in a more focused way the rest of the week. And yes, there's definitely times in my life where I don't get an easy Sabbath. Today's gonna be one of those. Uh, it's, it's not gonna be a restful day. But I can tell you that I'm actually counting the weekends till I know like, all right, this weekend, I know I can clear the whole calendar and do nothing all that Sunday. I'm gonna go home, take a nap, and uh, watch a football game and read a book because it's something that I enjoy doing. And what happens is that following week, my, my whole mind is just is, is more set because of the time that I spent to rest and the time that I spent to be with the Lord, to be with you here in this church. And so by resting one day out of seven, you will be more productive in the other six. 
You're going to make the most of your time over the long haul if you can rest and take time to honor God's design in your life. So making the best use of your time. Lastly is speaking with grace. So we are continuing in prayer. We are walking in wisdom. We are making the best use of our time and we are speaking with grace. Jesus spoke with grace and compassion when he spoke to the weak and the needy. The gospels are full of these things. People that no one else wanted to speak to, Jesus would go and touch them, look them in the eye and speak to them with grace and compassion. Pray for grace. It's hard to speak to certain people in your workplace with grace. It's hard to speak sometimes to your children with grace when they're pushing your button. It's hard to talk to your spouse with grace when that certain issue that always seems to be a struggle with you guys comes up. But let us speak with grace. But then Paul throws in something interesting here. He says, speak with grace, but let your speech always be seasoned with salt. What does that mean? And there's, I've read a lot of different people as to what this means. You can go a lot of different ways with this, but I think it's pretty clear. Salt is not sweetness, okay? It's the opposite of sweetness. And this goes back to the walk in wisdom thing. Okay, we're not always sweet. And we're not always the person that's easy and compassionate. Jesus also spoke with some harsh words. And Jesus also had some some biting humor sometimes. And Jesus was not always the one who spoke with sweetness. Now he always spoke with grace and he did not sin and he always loved the person that he was speaking to. But sometimes when we speak to people, even though it's in love, it's with a more direct tone. And it's something that's not necessarily sweet or easy. It's, it's with a toughness or even with a, with a saltiness, if you will. We know what it means for someone to be salty, a little direct in their words. Um, sometimes this is what we need to be. And sometimes you know that. Sometimes you know that, you know what, this is not the time for, a, for a, a sweet answer. I need to be more direct here. And so we must check our motives, look at our heart, make sure that we have the motives of Jesus, but that we are speaking in a direct way for the occasion. Because he goes on and says, so that each person may know how they ought to answer, so, I'm sorry, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. As we go through our conversations in life this week, we're gonna answer different people in different ways. We're gonna go back to the beginning of this. We're gonna need to pray. We're gonna need to ask God for wisdom. We're gonna need to look forward and think, you know what, I know I've got a difficult conversation coming up with whoever this person is, and I need to be careful. God, how should I speak to this person? Should it be with a direct word? Should it be with a word of kindness? Should it be with no word? Because I don't have anything good to say at this point in time, so I'm just not gonna say anything at all. However it may be, May the Lord Jesus give us wisdom as we live our life each and every day. Instructions for the Christian life. Let us live for Jesus this week, I pray, in a Matthew 5, 16 way. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So as you live this week as a Christian, understand that you go out into the world as an ambassador, as a representative of Jesus Christ. And every one of us will fail in various ways. That's why we confess our sins and we're forgiven. And everyone knows that we are not perfect because no one's perfect. But there should be something special and particular about your life that when people see how you live, that they give glory to God and they want to know more about who he is. Let's pray together. 
Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this time. These are instructions, instructions for how that we might live our lives well for you. I pray for each person as we go out into the world this week that we might live for you. Help us, Lord, to be prayerful people, seeking after you, giving to you our burdens. I pray make us wise, Lord, how it is that we should apply your word to the, the, the circumstances of our lives, to be careful, to be shrewd where we need to be shrewd, but to be compassionate and self-sacrificing where we need to be self-sacrificing. Lord, help us to know how to live. Help us to make the most of our time. Let us not waste our time with overly entertaining ourselves. Lord, let us not be bound to our work in such a way that we work so hard that we just wear ourselves out. Help us to find that middle ground. Lord, as we interact with those around us, help us to have a good answer, an answer that points them towards you, towards the gospel, that they might be forgiven. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.